Richard Foster wrote in his book, Celebration of Discipline, that simplicity frees us from the tyranny of the self, the tyranny of things, and the tyranny of people. And it's that quote that we used on Sunday as we looked at the discipline of simplicity in our series on the path to spiritual growth. And it's that quote that I would like to go a lot deeper into today as we look at different aspects around the theme of simplicity. Um, I've called today's uh, Bible study 10 Ideas to Help You with Simplicity. And again, many of these ideas are from Richard Foster himself, but I think that there will be wonderful things for us just to think about. And certainly if we could put some of these into our own lives and create habits around these, perhaps our lives would be a lot more simple. So welcome to our Bible study. Um, for those of you who perhaps are unfamiliar with the preaching series, I invite you to go and have a look at that, which um, is still on YouTube, on the church website or on YouTube. You can find the full sermons there. Um, and what I've been trying to do over this preaching series is just to go a little bit deeper by reflecting in our Bible study around different aspects from what we've covered on the Sunday. Um, and so, yes, today we're going to do that. I'm going to invite you, first of all, just as you get your Bibles open. Um, also, if you have a notebook, you may want to write one or two thoughts down today because these 10 ideas, there may be one or two that really strike you and you'd like to follow up with those. Um, so let us just pray together as we move into this time of quiet and Bible study. So let's pray. Lord, we come to you today asking that as we gather around the scriptures, wherever we may be listening to this Bible study, that your spirit would work into our hearts. We all desire to grow in our spiritual lives. We want to remain on the path um, of being a Christ follower, but we know that it is hard and it takes discipline. So today, be in our thoughts and our conversation as we share around this theme. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the what I'm going to do, just as something different from our normal Bible studies, is I'm going to go through the 10 ideas that Foster suggests. And again, they are his suggestions. We don't have to agree with them, but certainly if we could engage with them and reflect on them, it may help us in this process. Because certainly what I just want to just comment on before we go into this is many, many people I speak to, including myself, feel that our lives are complicated, feel that our lives are too busy, feel that there are things that we need to detach ourselves from. And so I really believe this is a relevant topic. Um, it's interesting that many of the scripture passages we look at obviously come from a context 2,000 years ago, give or take, and, and we look back often in history and think what it would be like to live in times like that where life seemed a lot more simple. Yes, probably a lot more rudimentary and sometimes a lot more harsh, but there were a lot of other things that we think would have made our lives a lot more simple. But we, we can't go and live in that generation. We are now here. God has placed us in this time and this age. And so we still wrestle with what it means to live as followers of Christ, uh, detach ourselves where possible from the things of the world that make us feel like we are slaves to those things, and to live a life that's content and joyful. That is our constant struggle. So today I'm going to say, as I say, start with these 10 things, and then there are some scripture passages at each one we could then 
share around. So the first thing that Foster suggests we do when it comes to simplifying our lives is this. He says, first of all, why don't we buy things for their usefulness rather than for their status? Okay, so buying things for their usefulness rather than their status. Now, this may not apply to, to some of us, but the world in which we live in often does urge us to buy things so that we'll feel better about ourselves. It will affect our self-image and maybe other people will look at us and say, wow, look what they've got, look what they've got. Now, if you want a corresponding passage, the Luke 12 reading from 13 to 34 is a good place to go. Um, obviously, for the sake of time, I try to keep these Bible studies about 25 minutes you would need to read this on your own. But in Luke 12, Jesus tells the parable from verse 13 about the rich fool who says he's got so many things, he wants to build bigger barns. And then God says to him, look, you don't even know if you'll be alive tomorrow. So, you know, don't be a fool. And then Jesus warns about worry from verse 22 uh, onwards. And I think that this is also uh, a very similar passage. It's, it's Luke's version of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. But the whole idea of, of seeking God's kingdom um, and storing up for yourself treasure in heaven rather than treasure on earth. So have a look at that, Luke 12, 13 to 34. Second idea to help us with our simplicity is to reject things that produce an addiction in us. Okay, so hear that, to reject things or to move away from things that are starting to produce an addiction in you. Now, an addiction, as you know, is something that we move to, to, uh, to be dependent upon, to give us a fix. Um, they give us that rush of endorphins. And I'm not talking about here only about the bigger addictions that, we, that many people deal with, which would be ranging from alcohol to drugs to pornography and so on. But I'm saying even there are things in our lives that when we are feeling a bit weak, when we are tired, when we are frazzled, there are things that may start to produce an addiction within us. And this could be unhealthy eating. It could be just binge watching series like for weeks on end. It could be, there's a lot of things. So just hear what, um, what Foster suggests here. It's to move away from things that can start producing an addiction in you. And I want to quote here Matthew 6, verse 34 to 30, 33 and 34, where Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So obviously it's a move now away from things and, and the things of the earth to God, and that God would satisfy and then provide all the things that we, we feel that we need. Okay, the third one, which he says, may help us in our path to simplicity, is to develop a habit of giving things away. Now, this I think is a good habit, and I know that our Women's Auxiliary in this season of Lent have encouraged people in our community to try and find one item a day, whether it's in your cupboard or your garage or your kitchen, to put into a black plastic bag that we could then, over 40 days of Lent, give away. And what is remarkable about this, and many of us do this actually annually, or we have these cleanouts of our cupboards, what's, what's interesting is how quickly we store things up. 
store things that we think we desperately need, but then they sit in our cupboard and we don't use them. And I think that every one of us is guilty of this. Um, but I like what Foster's saying is that if we develop a habit of this, whether it's annually or monthly or every quarter, to have a look at the things in our lives and say, you know, do I really need two or three or four of these things? Can I, can I not give one of them away? And what it slowly starts to do is to help us, certainly in my experience, it helps me to detach myself from the importance of these things. Because if I have, um, I don't know, let's say, for example, if I have five screwdrivers that are all of the same size in my garage, what am I really saying? I'm hoarding them in case I uh, lose one or can't find one, which is normally my case. Um, Or, you know, what is really at the root of having five of the same kind of thing? Um, Is there something going on beneath me? Uh, in my spirit that that leads me to want to store things up. And that's, I think, the big question about simplicity is, you know, could I not just have one and then if that one goes missing, well, I have to borrow one or perhaps buy another one, but do I really need to have five? So I throw it out there. Don't judge me. I'm reading what Foster says and you can then wrestle with that. Jesus, obviously, in the same way, says, you know, do not store up things for yourselves on earth, but rather store things up for yourselves in heaven. Um, this you could read from Luke twelve thirty three, And he says, this will store up treasure for you in heaven and the purses of heaven have no holes in them. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is there, your heart and thoughts will also be. Fourthly, he suggests, refuse to be swept up by gadgets. Now, Admittedly, Richard Foster wrote Celebration of Discipline in the, I think it was in the 80s or maybe even updated in the 90s. So gadgets, and his use of the word gadgets here, has changed a lot over the last 30 years. But in our modern age, this is clearly something that many of us wrestle with. Um, you know, so it's, and, you know, with all due respect, many of the cell phone companies are very good at this, is selling us the latest smartphone. So before your contract has even come up, you are being hounded. I'm being hounded by these companies, phoning, 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 saying, Mr. Linscott, it would be good for you to have the newer phone because your phone's outdated, newer phone. And what happens is then we are caught up in saying, oh, yes, maybe I do need the new one because it's faster or can take better photographs or got more memory, when actually the older one is perfectly fine. And so what this teaches us is that we don't have to run after the next best thing the whole time. Sure, sometimes there is a very practical reason why we need a new phone or television or whatever, but it's also the motive. If I'm doing, you know, if I'm running after the latest thing, the latest gadget, the latest technology, is there something in me that's needing to be filled by this and that's why I'm running after it? Or can I say, look, I'm actually fine, I'll have my phone for another year or two, and I don't need to upgrade my contract. So remember, this quest for simplicity is looking at the the spiritual things that are happening beneath us. Because all of our actions, I believe that all of our physical actions and how we present ourselves as human beings stem from something that's going on inside of us, in what we would call the heart, the soul, the spirit. And so we must try and connect the dots in that. Fifthly, Richard Foster says, learn to enjoy things without owning them. 
Now that's an interesting one. Learn to enjoy things without owning them. Now, I don't have an example that rushes into my mind at the moment, but it ties in with number six, which he says to develop a deeper appreciation for the creation and for nature around us. And so maybe, maybe just uh, off the top of my head, it could be this whole idea of saying, you know, we can enjoy nature. We can go to a game reserve or to a park or we can go down to the beach and we can enjoy what God has created. We don't have to own that. We don't have to buy that to enjoy it. Whereas sometimes in our modern society, we say, well, if you buy that, then it's yours and you are the sole possessor of that. Then no one else can enjoy that. And we, we begin to believe that. Um, and, and maybe, I mean, another idea has come to my head that simplicity, it could be, um, Perhaps, I know book clubs are very good at this, where you buy one book and you share it around. And so you don't all have to own the book, but you can um, you can share it and you can lend it to each other. Or instead of buying books, you take them out from the library. And even as I'm saying that, I feel like a big hypocrite because I love books. And so <laughs> this is my, um, my one vice too. But maybe I need to hear what Foster is saying also to me. A good reading to read around the appreciation of creation would be Psalm 8. And if you have time, have a read of that. So Psalm 8. Then we go to number 7. He says, keep a skeptical attitude about the deals that you see advertised, which are buy now, pay later. And I think this is a big thing in terms of credit card debt. Again, since Foster wrote this and the suggestions, a lot has changed. You know as well as I know that one can get a credit card really at the, you know, at the, the, the flick of your fingers, you could get a credit card. And all that leads us to is to get into greater debt because we buy now, we pay later, or we pay over a longer period of time, we pay more interest. And so it is around this um, idea that I can have the things that I think that I need or want right now, but I'll pay for them later. Now, these kind of questions, um, I'm assuming that we understand that there are certain things that we do need, for example, food, um, and, and there are some basics that every human being needs, basic essentials. Um, this doesn't, I'm not really speaking about that now, I'm speaking about all the things that we think we can't wait for, that we feel like we can have now. And many of you who are listening now may have come from a generation that, um, certainly was modeled for, for that generation or experienced themselves that you only bought something if you had the money in hand to buy it. Um, this is obviously excluding some of the big purchases like homes and cars and so on. But we live in a world now that just says, well, you know, there's something that you like. You see it advertised on TV or on the Internet. You can go online, buy it now. You can pay for it later. But that also just adds to the whole idea of just acquiring, getting, gaining, and we eventually lose track. And many people have got themselves into serious trouble by, by living life like that. Number eight, he suggests obey Christ's instruction about plain and honest speech. Now, this is one that we shared in our Bible study uh, this week uh, I didn't get into it at all on Sunday, uh, but he speaks in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, Matthew 5, 33 to 37. Maybe we could just spend five minutes on this before we 
go to the last two. And in this teaching, Jesus teaches about vows, depending on your translation. It's um, about making an oath or making a vow. Let me read it, Matthew 5, 33. He says, Again, you have heard that the law of Moses says, Do not break your vows. You must carry out the vows that you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, don't make any vows. If you say, by heaven, it is a sacred vow because heaven is God's throne. And if you say, by the earth, it is a sacred vow because the earth is the Lord's footstool. And don't swear. Don't say, by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Don't even swear and say, by my head, for you can't even turn one hair on your head, white or black. Just simply say, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Your word is enough. To strengthen your promise with a vow shows that something is wrong. Okay, so this is from the New Living Translation. And and um, what is interesting as we have a look a bit deeper into this, why Jesus was speaking, was because um, many of the people listening to this Sermon on the Mount were, were Jewish, and they, and they already knew about this whole thing about making vows and making oaths. That's why he says, you have heard that the law of Moses says, do not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. And what people would do in, in this time, and we even hear it sometimes in language today, is people would make a promise, make a vow, make an oath, but swear it by God. So um, sometimes when you go to a court of law, say, um, I, I swear to God, I swear on the Bible. And so what would happen is this promise, this swearing, this oath was made more sincere, more serious by the fact that you would invoke God's name. But Jesus is saying to his um, to his followers, you don't need to do that. And, and what is more, he, that's why he says here, don't even say by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem, because people, there would be two kinds of vows or what you would call swearing. Um, one would be sort of almost frivolous, where people would say, you know, by my head, I will, you know, I will never do this, or um, I promise, you know, that I would do this for you. And then, you know, many people would obviously break those promises. But then sometimes they would swear by God or, or by the things of God. Some of these oaths were binding and some were not binding. And so people would, it is almost like you scheming and the way you speak, you scheming various things. So that's why he says, you know, don't even say by, you know, um, by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem, I'll do this, I'll do that. Because he says, well, you know, God is in everything and all these things belong to God. So ultimately you're actually fulfilling or you're making a promise or a vow to God, which you're going to need to fulfill. So then he says, well, just simply say, yes, I will, or no, I won't. And he says, then your word, and he's talking now as Christians, your word should be enough. Now, this, I think, has also changed, sadly, in the world in which we live, is that as a Christ follower, if you asked me something and said, Dom, please, could you, whatever, pay the debt that you owe? And I say, yes, I commit to pay it by tomorrow. My word should be enough. My yes should be enough because I want to seek to honor God in my life. And so I don't want to lie to you. So I would be able to say, yes, I will. Or look, no, unfortunately, I can't, but I can pay you by the end of the month because of this. But what was happening is people were using or invoking the name of God to carry on with all their schemes. Now, that is why Jesus says here, um, your word is enough. 
To strengthen your promise with a vow shows that something is wrong. And this is why sometimes people who say or seem very, very adamant, yes, you know, um, by God, I promise that I will do this. You know, it's actually in a way quite blasphemous because they don't intend to do it and they invoke God's name. But actually underneath what's happening is there's there's some evil at play in their hearts. Um, sadly, many of you listening to this, myself included, have had bad experiences with people who call themselves Christians but don't live a Christian life. And this, I think, would be in many aspects, but the one that has just popped into my mind is how you do business with people who claim to be Christians and say, okay, well, I'm going to do business with Dom because he's a Christian and he says he's a Christian and he speaks like a Christian, but then Dom is very underhanded in his business dealings and runs off with your money. Now that I think is kind of what Jesus is saying is uh, maybe it's on 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 a bit of an extreme, but he's saying, you know, this person's word should be their bond. That's the old saying. The word, your, my word is my bond. So when I say yes, I will follow through. It's my integrity will follow through. But sadly, not everybody who calls on the name of God lives that kind of lifestyle. So the challenge for us as we hear this is that let us have honest speech. Sometimes we we don't want to appear to to let people down or maybe to be unkind. And so someone would say, oh, you know, could you help me with this? And our first response is, yes, 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 because we want to help, but actually we we can't. Um, And so we need to also be at peace with certain things and say, look, my friend, I really would love to help you, but I can't on this day or that day, but I can help you then. And so what we've done is we've been honest, we've been simple, and also we haven't packed our diaries so full of things that we can't cope ourselves. So it, it has a whole ripple effect in in our lives. The ninth suggestion to help us with simplicity says, uh, Foster says, reject anything that hurts other people. Now I think that's a, obviously a wonderful thing as Christ followers. That should be something we all practice. And Mark 12, 31 is a good reading there, which is love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so, yeah, always be careful to think, is is what I'm about to do going to hurt somebody or not? Lastly, um, he says, shun anything that distracts you or keeps you from seeking the kingdom of God. So turn away from anything that distracts you or keeps you from seeking the kingdom of God. And here we we have to practice discernment and wisdom we also have to be practical and use common sense. So some of you who are listening here may say, well, you know, my work certainly distracts me from God, so I'm going to give up my work. But the reality is that our work pays for the bills and it pays for food and school fees and so on. So we can't just be uh, frivolous in how we respond to this, but there are many things that sometimes distract us from seeking the things of God. Now, Hebrews 12, verse 2, says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Keep your eyes on Christ. And I think that's the the challenge for us in the Matthew 6 passage, um, also Hebrews 12, 
if you want to read the other one, which we covered a few weeks ago, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, think on all of these things, things that are lovely and admirable and pure and holy. The idea is that there are many, many things in our lives that can come in and distract us, distract us from following God, from being a disciple. But in order to stay on the path simply, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and then to have systems or people in our lives that help us to do that. So whether it is having a daily devotion or regular time of worship or a small group or an accountability partner, it's to have people like that that are able to keep us seeking the kingdom of God. So friends, I, I'm going to leave it with that today. So those are the 10 things that um, would help you or maybe help me in in keeping my life simple. What I think I will do is I'll put the 10 onto my daily blog at some point in the next day or two. So if you wanted to see them written down, you could have a look at that. But I ask us to just wrestle with these things. Um, this discipline of simplicity is not an easy one, but uh, certainly something that I think we all need to hear and to come back to quite regularly. So friends, may God bless you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for being part of this journey with us. And I pray that our relationship with God is certainly being challenged and deepened as we journey towards Easter. Remember that we are getting closer and closer in the Lenten period to Holy Week and then celebrating the uh, moment that Christ died on the cross and then the glory of the resurrection. God bless you and chat soon. Bye-bye.